welcome to the Modern Poetry in Translation podcast. In this episode, we hear from Kairani Baroka, our inaugural poet and translator in residence, a project made possible with support from the British Council. Here, she discusses a new digital pamphlet and looks back at our recent online translation workshop on the poem Bon Lu by Cecilia Callisto Omatan. My name is Kairani Baroka, um, I go by Oka, and I'm so honoured to have been asked to be Modern Poetry and Translation's inaugural poet and translator in residence. I have a huge amount of respect for Modern Poetry and Translation, and it's exciting to be able to work with the freedom that MPT has given me to make this a collaborative community effort along with uh, Lakwat Kujawas, which is a social enterprise and community organization founded by my colleague Diki Senda, who is a writer himself. And it's in Timor Island in East Nusa Tenggara province, Indonesia. Um, and it's a, Eastern Indonesia in general has a dearth of translations from their languages into other languages, especially into English. And I think it is more difficult, certainly, for Eastern Indonesian writers to be noticed in a literary scene that sometimes favors cities and Jakarta as the capital as uh, sort of literary hubs. There are so many literary scenes all across Indonesia. There's not just one literary scene. And the literary scene in Molo, in Taiftop village in Nusa Tenggara Timur, or East Nusa Tenggara province, Indonesia, is a literary scene that is just as amazing and brilliant and generative and experimental as literary scenes anywhere. And I really think that's something that we need to remember, that the gatekeepers and... Um, People who claim that there's only one literary scene in Indonesia need to recognize that our whole country is built on hundreds and hundreds of literary scenes and, tradi and traditions that are all incredible and rich and worthy of translation. I also wanted to emphasize with this digital pamphlet um, the incredible work that is done by people who may be under the radar of, of uh, tastemakers and gatekeepers in the literary industry, which is why I'm so grateful that Dickie uh, gave me a preview of this anthology that was just published called Tubuhku Batu Rumahku Bulan, or My Body is Stone, My House is the Moon, which is a beautiful title. It's an anthology by um, members of the To the Lighthouse creative writing workshop that Dickie runs in a school in Taiftop village. Uh, in East Nusa Tenggara province, and these are all um, young people. You'll be able to see a photo of them as the cover of our digital pamphlet uh, that MPT has produced, and uh, their work is exemplary and really gives, you know, it's of a quality that is, I think, re really remarkable, and children's work is often undervalued and underestimated, um, and I really want to highlight the rich depth that they were able to bring to these poems, um, and I hope that my translations of these poems in the digital pamphlet have been able to do justice to their work. I also really want to thank everyone at MPT, Claire and Ed, um, especially for uh, allowing the translation workshop online to happen. I'm so excited that so many people uh, took the challenge on, and I'm really grateful to all of you. Thank you so much. Uh, the poem that was translated was one by Cecilia Calista Umatan, and the poem is entitled Bon Leu. So now we're going to hear Cecilia Calista Umatan, who is the poet behind the poem Bon Leu. 
Pon Leu diciptakan Tuhan tanpa kata dahaga. Hanya banyak lebah bernana madu. Dan loe raja bergantung selendang. Jalanan rusak bertabur beling. Di depan mata gunung mutis masih saja angkuh. Pipa-pipa kerongkongan memberitahu bahwa ia mata air hidup. And now we're going to hear the voice of Kirana Kania, who wrote the translation of Bonleu that I thought was most in line with the spirit of Kalista's original work. Bonleu. Bonleu was God made without drought in mind, merely teeming bees, honey, their pass, and the bishalt king's loe, cracked shard-studded roads slain proud, still, under Mount Mutis's eyes, gullet pipes announcing, the springs are alive. And I just want to note that, you know, there were many thoughtful entries to consider, but uh, Kirana Kanias was the one that I deemed most in line with the spirit of the poem. So one thing that emerged from analyzing the translations was the frequent assumption that Mount Mutis was the arrogant party, which was not the case in the original poem. And that's actually an understandable mistake. Um, so I apologize to the people who took the translation on because... Um, you know, I was asked to do a quote-unquote literal translation, which in accordance with MPT workshop policies is deliberately asked to be translation of lesser quality than it would normally be in my capacity as literary translator, right? Um, but there's, you know, if, if the remit is to do translation of lesser quality, that allows then for so many variations in how the translation could be, um, if it's deliberately a less good translation. Um, so it was written before the eye of the mountain mutis, comma, still arrogant which, you know, is understandable if you think, oh, the people are still arrogant, or that Mount Mutis is arrogant. So all of this contributes to, to the discussion around the value and nature of quote-unquote literal translations, and is something I'd like to highlight. Um, and I also took the chance uh, to experiment with what the remit of translation was. I asked you all to uh, translate also, if you could, the glossary of Molo words by Diki Senda. So Diki Senda's um, native language and also the native language of uh, all the writers in the digital pamphlet is, um, you know, Bahasa Indonesia or Indonesian is the lingua franca of Indonesia. It's taught in all the schools across Indonesia, but we also have hundreds of regional languages. So Molo is a, is a regional language um, that is native to all the writers in the pamphlet. And um, a few of them used some Molo words. And because of this, I'm not Molo, I asked Diki Senda to uh, write me a brief glossary of the, uh, the Molo words translated into Indonesian, which I then translated into English. So for the workshop, I asked if people would kindly try to translate the glossary as well. Because one thing that I noticed in the literary translation world is that glossaries are often um, relegated to uh, something of lesser importance than the quote-unquote body of the text, right? They're not seen as something that's literary, whereas glossaries are something that I'm fascinated with, where they're placed in a book of translation, how they're translated, um, so I really wanted to play on that. So thank you all who attempted it. I'd like to uh, just shout out the people who translated the glossaries and did well. Uh, Bebe Ashley, Emma Devlin, Julia Winterflood, 
Sunny Reckon, Stephen Taylor, Ewan Smith, Joanna Dare, Fitriani Firskasari Putri, Natanya Silalahi, and Yulia Dwi Andrianti. Apologies if I've mispronounced any of your names. <laughs> and, you know, I'm greatly heartened by this interest in Cecilia's great talents, um, the poet who wrote Bonmeu, and I hope it continues with an interest in Indonesian cultures and languages on behalf of all those who participated. And I also just want to say that, um, you know, Dickie has provided some incredible context for the poems and in the digital pamphlet, which are, again, all poems translated from the anthology Tubuku Batu, Rumahku Bulan which is a wonderful anthology that they have just published. So these are Dickie's words, and he's given me permission to read them on the podcast. In the last three years, our community has begun to revive the tradition of oral storytelling in our village, and we have found many interesting tales. He gives us an example. One of the poets in the pamphlet is someone named Alexander Franciscus Karel Humatan, and in his bio he writes that he's the great-grandson of a cleric who founded a Catholic church in Molo of the same name. In quotes, I would like to write about the AFK Umatan who could speak with animals in the next book. So, of course, I asked Dickie, what is this? Who could speak with animals? And he said, you know, um, we, we have found many interesting tales of the senior AFK, for instance, about AFK, for instance, about the site of the Napi stone that has become the Faot Kanaf of the Umatan clan, the stone protected by AFK's family. Every large clan in Molo has a stone and spring of water site. These are two elements, other than forest and earth, that are always close to Molo people. Fa'ot Kanaf means name stone, a stone that is the reference and symbol of a certain clan. Fatu, or Fa'ot, means stone, and Kanaf means name. The Napi stone in our village is the one protected by the family of AFK Sr. This stone will always come up in Pantun, which is, again, an Indonesian indigenous form of poetry that in English is pan, pantum, I believe. Um, other poems, greetings in our traditional language. It's like a compass stone. When I formed the creative writing class with the children, I asked them to do a bit of research by asking their parents about the stones in Molo. The results are there in the poems of My Body is Stone book. So, um... When AFK Jr. talks about AFK Sr., he's talking about his great-grandfather, who was of Molo Chinese heritage. He was the first to spread the Catholic religion in the Molo Mountains. The great-grandfather was known as a cleric, Catholic religious teacher, as well as a naturalist. And he enjoyed keeping animals and had a coffee plantation in Molo. So there's a story about him that his great-grandson is writing down. The junior AFK Umatan is writing about how the senior Aifka had the ability to herd deer only by moving the deer's footsteps. So what he'd do is, you know, he would um, take the earth that had been imprinted with the deer's footsteps and take that earth and place it in a, you know, where he wanted the deer to come to. That's a fascinating story that these children are, some. it's an example of some of the stories that these children are rediscovering from their own heritage. So Dickie says, you know, the results of their research are there in the poems of My Body is Stone, My House is the Moon. Aifka Jr. and many children in my writing class are the heirs of Molo. They are now in a situation where their connection to the cultural history of the past has been disconnected. There are many factors that cause this, one of which is our education system, which isn't contextual in my opinion. Our mission is for the kids to be reconnected through elders and the creative writing class. So Mutis, in Kalista's poem about Bonleu, says Diki, is the highest mountain in Molo, thought to be the place where all Molo souls live. 
It is the king of mountains and the smaller stones around it, including the Napi stones in our village. This is why when mines and industrial tree plantations entered Molo with the new order, which is um, the name for Suharto's dictatorship that lasted uh, more than three decades, the people rejected this and resisted. There came to be an environmental activist woman from Molo, Aleta Baun, who won the Goldman Prize, which is a kind of Nobel Prize for environmental activists. It is this perspective that I'm trying to rebuild in Molo's younger generation, things they cannot get from formal education. So as you can understand, it was a huge honor for me, Oka, to uh, be working together with uh, the people of Lakota Kujawas because I recognize the importance of these generative poems that they're creating, generating connections um, between the kids and the elders in Molo, strengthening their ability to understand their place in the world and what they're inheriting, and the importance of maintaining that place as um, somewhere that is safe from mining companies, from industrial tree plantations. And it's something that I, I spoke about in my first essay for MPT against Terra Nullius translation, that I think a lot of environmental activism in um, Western countries is universalizing and doesn't lack context. For instance, plant trees, whereas, you know, industrial tree plantations are a huge source of suffering in Indonesia. And, you know, um, for instance, palm oil plantations that Indonesia, you know, produces a huge chunk of what we put on ourselves that we buy in stores, if that makes sense. So our shampoos, our soaps, our ramen noodles, our, you know, our sunblock, our moisturizers, so many things have palm oil in them that come from trees that are planted, that replace rainforests, that replace farms, that replace um, millions and millions of people's livelihoods and makes them, you know, makes many refugees from their own lands. So what they're doing in Molo with Akot Kujawas in creating these books and asking kids to write poems that are based on their heritage, that um, that are about stones and trees and earth, but in a very Molo-specific way, in a very um, Taiftop village-specific way, in a very um, East Nusa Tenggara-specific way, to understand environmental activism and poetry writing as being all of a piece has been really incredible for me and I'm really grateful once again to all of the poets um, in Lakawat Kujawas uh, and Diki and the people of Molo and Taiftop Village for sharing their wisdom with us. So, and thank you MPT for allowing this collaboration to happen. Mm -hmm.